You're listening to Murder Not Murdering with Aaron and Autumn, a true crime podcast about murder and murdering. But we are not murderers. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for your patience. I know we didn't have an episode last week, but Erin was moving into her forever home. And moving is a lot of effort and takes a lot of time. It is. (laughs) And like, as I was building shelves and putting together things, I'm just like, there's just no way I'm going to be able to get to an episode. No. And Erin does all of our editing. So it takes some time and we just didn't have the time to do an episode last week, but we really appreciate everyone who reached out to us and told us that they missed us on their walks and on their drives. Cause I know everyone's starting vacations and going on road trips. So that was really nice. That was (laughs) really nice though, to hear like, Oh, you really do listen. You really do want to hear what we have to say. Yes. Everyone was so supportive. Yeah. That part was really nice. We felt loved. (laughs) We did feel loved. You know, ironically, Autumn, you're going to be doing an international case tonight and I am not. What? Oh, how the tables have turned. (laughs) It's not old (laughs) to me, is it? No. (laughs) There we go. I (laughs) mine's still old timey, but I have a US case. That is rare. And I have an international case. (laughs) So funny. So um, I'm going to be going up first tonight. And I'm in my new recording studio, which is a little echoey. And that's because she has no curtains. She has no blinds. I haven't put up all the (laughs) soundproofing and that's where we sit. So bear with me, folks. I'm getting it together. I promise. (laughs) We're just here for the story. That's right. So (laughs) tonight I'm going to be telling the mysterious death of the Hollywood starlet, nicknamed the ice cream blonde Thelma Todd. Ooh. 86 years ago, Thelma Todd shot into fame. An actress from Massachusetts, she had conquered Hollywood by the time of her death at just 29 years old. Who killed her? No one knew then and no one knows today. Was it the ex-husband, a shady film producer and agent, her gangster lover, Or was it her business partner? Let's find out. (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. (laughs) Like a movie entrance. Yes. It's like, oh, I'm loving it. Bringing the theatrics. I love this. That's right. I mean, I feel like after I did Edith, I was just like, now I want to write everything like it's a romance novel. (laughs) I, I have to say that I'm here for that because that was my favorite episode yet. Me too. I had so much fun writing it. Okay. Back to, back to Thelma. Yes, Thelma. So Thelma was born in 1906 in Lawrence. Her father was a superintendent of the streets and an alderman, also known as an unfeeling and uncaring man who was abusive and an alcoholic. He was great. So um, her mother, her mother, not to be outdone, was overbearing and wanted to live vicariously through her daughter. Schoolmates recalled that Thelma was a very friendly, bright, and determined young woman. 
After high school, Thelma attended Lowell State Normal School. Normal school. That seems. I was about to say normal school. (laughs) I do not adhere to normal school. No, me either. (laughs) The school. (laughs) I think I'm a true crime weirdo. Yes. I was going to say we keep it weird. (laughs) The school for training. Oh, sorry. It was called the school for training teachers. Now part of Lowell University. Though Thelma went so far as to do her student teaching, her mother pushed her for a career to bring fame and fortune. Being a natural beauty, she entered beauty pageants and acting content. In 1925, she was crowned Miss Massachusetts at the State Elks Convention in Swampscott. She also caught the eye of Hollywood talent scouts. They recommended her for the Paramount School for Junior Stars run by the Paramount Movie Studio. There, her instructors praised her for her talent and warned her to watch her weight. Oh, no. This becomes a thing throughout the story, and it seriously triggers me. So um, just putting that out there. (laughs) I am body positive, and I do not condone any of this bullshit. No. Misogynistic motherfucker. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Movie producer Hal Roach the director behind Laurel and Hardy signed Thelma to a contract and he invented something called the potato clause. What? He said that Thelma had a weight problem and it was in her contract that if she gained more than five pounds, she'd be fired. Are you kidding me? He called it the potato clause. That is stupid. Isn't that the worst? Yes. The fact that he invented it and named it the potato clause makes me so irate. Yes. That's ridiculous. Her mother started her on diet pills and later she became addicted to amphetamines. So. Seems healthy because, you know, five pounds over all of those other things. So many women in Hollywood of that time just awful. I mean, the things that they did to poor Judy Garland and so many other actresses, but I'm getting off topic again. (laughs) (laughs) So Hal began casting her in zany short comedies. Her roles would be familiar to viewers today. She belonged to a duo, one sensible woman and the other a clown. Sounds like us. (laughs) (laughs) Which one's which, Erin? I don't, I don't suppose I'm very sensible. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, good. I thought you were calling me a clown. <laughs> no, me. Uh, together, they would work in a way so that they would work their way out of comical situations. Thelma Todd was described as playing the adorable working girl trying to retain her poise while being dragged into her friend's shenanigans. Actress Zazu Pitts. Oh, isn't that the best name? Yes. Let me just start over. Actress Zazu Pitts and Patsy Kelly co-starred with her in these films. She established her comedic prowess playing the straight woman to the Marx Brothers in two of their films. But Thelma really wanted more from her career. She wanted to try to become a dramatic actress. So she began dating director Roland West. Together, they planned to launch her in a new direction in his dramatic film, Corsair. At the time of their affair, West had a wife who reportedly was not troubled by their relationship, so she was cool with it. (laughs) Nice. 
<laughs> yeah. To mark the point that she was having a major change in her career, Thelma used the name Allison Lloyd in her role in Corsair. She now had two professional outlets for her talent, starring in comedies with the likes of the Marx Brothers and Bing Cosby, and in dramatic films playing off leading men such as John Barrymore and Ricardo Cortez. By now, Thelma Todd was a bankable actress. Attractive, slim. One interview noted noted that she had dropped 20 pounds since she left Massachusetts and was very disciplined in her acting. It makes me so mad that they constantly talk about her weight and that that was a reporter talking about how much weight she had lost. It just makes me very grateful to live in the time that we do. Agreed. I mean, there's still a long way to go, but. Oh, for sure. But at least, at least that's not the first thing someone's going to say about you in an article. At least I hope not. Yeah, for real. So in her personal life, Thelma had been linked to many Hollywood men. She had gotten married in an elopement in 1932 to Pascal DeChico, a movie producer, agent, and small time hood. That's how they described him. Not I. <laughs> I was about to say, ooh, <laughs> that doesn't sound like my type of thing. But he was, he basically spent a lot of time with the mafia. He wasn't like a main person, but he hung around mafia folk. Got so it. the marriage to DeChico would last just two years. It was punctuated by frequent, loud, abusive arguments and beatings fueled by alcohol. By 1933, Thelma was showing just how savvy she had become. She had traveled to London for work and returned to Massachusetts to visit family. They eventually divorced in 1934. That same year, Thelma decided to open a restaurant and supper club in the Pacific Palisades called Thelma Todd's Sidewalk Cafe. The restaurant was a draw for tourists because it was popular with Thelma's celebrity friends. So people were there all the time, all these celebrities and tourists wanted to see everybody. So they would come down to her club. Her partner in the club was Roland West, her former lover and director. Thelma dated many problematic men. And once one person close to her said that bad guys were just her Achilles heel. Things in her career began to die down and the restaurant was not making money. On the morning of December 16th, 1935, Thelma Todd was found dead. The Los Angeles Times reported, the Los Angeles Times reported, coagulated blood marred the screen comedian's features and stained her mauve and silver evening gown and her expensive mink coat when she was found. Her blonde locks pathetically awry in the front seat of her automobile in the garage of Roland West, film producer and director in the front of West's residence at 17531 Pasanto Road, less than 500 yards away from Mrs. Todd's Cafe on the Roosevelt Highway. The body was found by Mae Whitehead, a maid who had been serving the actress. They summoned a physician, Dr. J.P. Sampson, and also called the police. Dr. Sampson found that there was no evidence of bodily injury and expressed the opinion that Mrs. Todd had been dead for at least 12 hours. The officers found a wealth of jewels intact about the throat and wrists of the actress. They inspected the scene of her death. 
her magnificent mink coat and her jewels and purse had not been touched by anyone. So clearly this had nothing to do with robbery. The coroner quickly ruled that accidental carbon monoxide poisoning had been what killed Thelma. She had become a very successful actress and described as the Marilyn Monroe of her day, a peroxide blonde and wisecracking. They constantly referred to her as being very sexy, and they said that she had a very outrageous sense of humor. Sounds similar to me. Yes, I was about to say, (laughs) sounds like someone I know. Except for I'm not peroxide blonde. No. She was was nicknamed the ice cream blonde for her shapely figure. She had appeared in around 120 feature films and shorts in her career. But with fame came heartache. And within the past few months, she had been the recipient of several extortion notes threatening her death unless she paid $10,000 because no apparent reason existed for her taking her own life. Investigating officers desperately sought an answer to the mystery of her death. Initially, they, re- they ruled it a suicide, but soon her friends began raising questions and three suspects emerged. The ex-husband, Pascal de Tico, Thelma's ex, was out of her life, or so everyone assumed. But on Saturday night before her death, de Chico and Thelma had a fight at a party. She had been invited and she was seated at the table where a chair was reserved for DeChico, but he showed up with another date and sat at the table. Thelma was furious. Actress Ida Lupino arranged a party and she later said that DeChico had asked to be invited and sat next to Thelma. He explained that he was joking when he said it because Thelma was so hostile to him. DeChico was not just a New York agent, but he was also an associate of the New York mobster, Lucky Luciano. Oh. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a pretty famous guy. So if you haven't heard of him. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I'm just going to do a little backstory on those two. So Lucky Luciano was a well-known mobster and a psychopath. Also a well-known murderer. Might have to cover that. Anyway, Thelma had been introduced by, to Luciano by her ex-husband, and the two had an affair. After her divorce, Thelma swore off alcohol. But the night that she met Lucky at the Coconut Grove nightclub, he insisted she have a glass of champagne with him. She refused. Luciano insisted and ended up pouring a whole bottle of Dom Perignon down her throat. To maintain his control over her, he supplied her with more potent amphetamines than her prescription diet pills. Thelma became hooked on the pills. Luciano was in Los Angeles at the time of Thelma's death. Rumors had also floated that Luciano had pressured her into letting him use the third floor of her supper club for a casino. And they also mentioned that he was abusive to her. That sucks. In every single thing that I read, they said that he was really trying to get her to either launder money for him through her separate club or to use the third floor for his casino. Next suspect, Roland West. The second line of suspicion fell on Thelma's one-time lover and restaurant partner, Roland West. West's career had cooled after the film he made with Thelma. 
and the nature of his relationship with her was unclear. They had two apartments next to each other above the restaurant, but he still remained married. Thelma and West had discussed the future of the restaurant. Though wildly popular, it did not make any money. Some sources say that West told Thelma that the reason the restaurant was losing money was because they were being pressured by Luciano to buy from mob-controlled suppliers at cheap prices. Mm. So, yeah, not good. Not good at all. (laughs) Luciano seems like he's bad news. I mean, we all know he's- We know he's bad news. news. (laughs) But it was like, uh, Thelma, wake up. Yes. He's a bad guy. 100%. (laughs) Before Thelma departed, to her Saturday night party, West had asked her to return before 2 a.m. True to his word, at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, he locked the doors of the supper club and went upstairs to his apartment. He went to sleep at 2.30 a.m. Thelma had not yet returned. His bulldog startled later in the morning, barking, but West said that he didn't look into why the dog was upset. Seems a little suspicious to me. Yeah, because if he's... Yeah, that makes no sense. He suggested that Thelma had climbed up the 270 steps to the garage at the top of the hill over the restaurant with the intention of sleeping in her car. Chilled by the cool night air, she started the motor for heat and was overcome by the carbon monoxide fumes. There are a lot of problems with this theory. Yeah, why would she want to sleep in her car? Also, who doesn't know that you can't sit in a garage with a car running? I mean, and why would you? So there was these problems, right? The other thing is the engine in the car, which Thelma Todd died in was running when they found it on Monday morning. Yet the, the tank was filled with gas. Hmm. She had been dead 12 hours. Yeah. It would not be full still. It would not be full. It would just wouldn't. And that somebody would have heard the car running for 12 hours. Yes. And you think that when they'd open the garage, there'd be like this overwhelming fume smell. Right. Witnesses began to come forward to say that Thelma had not spent all day Sunday dead behind the wheel of her car as the coroner first proposed. She had spoken to one friend on the phone, Jewel Carmen, Roland West's wife. She said that she had seen Thelma Todd in the car with a man on Sunday. Thelma had told some friends that she had a new romantic interest, a man from San Francisco. This identified stranger had never been located. The other thing about that that makes me kind of curious is that that's Roland's wife. Mm -hmm. Kind of, they never looked at her as a suspect, but that seems kind of suspicious that she's like, no, she yes. was alive, even though they said that they thought she was dead for 12 hours. Right. And I'm assuming since it was so long ago, they couldn't look at phone records that she talked to her. No, 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 not at all. It was 1930s. Not happening. Yeah. So an autopsy revealed that Thelma's blood contained lethal levels of carbon monoxide and that she had been also drunk at the time of her death. But they also found damage to her throat that someone may have caused by forcing a hose or some other object into her mouth. That finding would create an eerie echo of that story involving Luciano and Thelma. You know, they found some damage to her throat 
it kind of makes me think, you know, they said of a hose or something, but we know that he shoved a bottle of champagne down her throat. Right. And she wouldn't drink it. That just seemed kind of suspicious to me. Yes, I agree. A hundred percent. The coroner ruled her death a suicide and the cause of death was carbon monoxide poisoning. To this day, that verdict is on the books as the official explanation of her death. While a grand jury ruled that Thelma had committed suicide, it was unable to explain her broken nose and bruises around her throat, and she had two cracked ribs at the time of her death. What? Apparently, the grand jury thought that she had beat herself to death. Yeah, that right there. mm, Yeah, I have a bad feeling about that. It was damaged to her throat because of the hose or something in her throat. Then they, then she also had a broken nose and bruises and two cracked ribs. That to me does not seem like you went and sat in your car to commit suicide. Absolutely not. Some suggested that Thelma was actually despairing at the poor performance of the restaurant and took her own life, but her friends and family refuted that notion. They described her as lighthearted as ever. The night before her death, she was joking with her friends and laughing, and she made them a wager, which is something which was very common for her. She said, I'll bet you a dinner that you won't come to my place tomorrow. You're on, agreed her friends. And the next day, Sunday, they called Mrs. Todd's bet, only to be told that she had not been seen at her place that day. Her friends had dinner anyway, not knowing that their friend sat dead at the wheel of her car a little more than just 400 feet away. Oh, okay. That breaks my heart. My sources were the Los Angeles Times, the New England Historical Society, and Wikipedia. Isn't that heartbreaking? Yes. And it's so interesting. It is. It's still to this day on the books as a suicide. It is, but, and it's, and it really, it's unsolved. And the investigators themselves did not think that it was suicide. It was the coroner that said that. That's unfortunate. And the first thing her mother said when they talked to her was my daughter was murdered. Mm, I have chills. I know. I know. It's, I just found it to be a really interesting story. And also I can't believe that more people haven't heard of Thelma Todd. She is linked to so many famous actors and actresses that it's kind of shocking that somehow she's sort of been forgotten and the fact that this happened and she's been really, I mean, hardly anybody knows of her. And she was like famous, famous. She was the Marilyn Monroe of her time. Mm -hmm. You know, they also, a lot of people have compared her to like Madonna and like, cause I think the platinum blonde thing, but also, I mean, just being a kind of pushing the limits as far as like being sexy and also being smart and funny. It's shocking to me. I'll post a ton of pictures on our Instagram of her in several of her roles. And um, you'll see like she was a beautiful woman. It's also kind of sad to me what Hollywood did to her, you know, with all of the weight stuff. Yeah, for sure. You know, that is really sad. And also that she never really wanted to be an actress. Her mother just sort of pushed her into it. She wanted to be a school teacher. So it's like, you know, I just, I feel for her. And the fucking potato claws can just suck my dick. 
Yes, a hundred percent. Because I mean, I am just so pissed about that. That when I read that part, I was just like, nope, nope, nope. I'm just <laughs> sitting in my living room cursing by myself. My dogs are looking at me like I'm crazy as usual. <laughs> and I was just like, God damn it. Like for real. What a shitty, what a shitty person. I know. I know. It just makes me so irate. That's why I was like, I am triggered. <laughs> yes. I, I definitely have to be on the same level as you with that. That's absolutely not. Okay. No, I was super pissed. Uh, anyway, that was the mysterious death of Thelma Todd. That's exciting. I, I have chills still. I know. Right. And wait till you see the pictures. I feel like that gives it more of that human element when you see her and know her story. So again, that'll be up on our Instagram page, murder, not murdering. So better follow us. Yes. You better follow us or else. No, I'm just, kidding. no, there's a we lot of said we're not murderers. We've established that. We promised that we promised. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And when we get back, we will hear about autumn's international story. And we are back. Yes. And I think you should mention what you told me on our break about her teeth. So um, one of the things that was mentioned was that her teeth were knocked out. And what their theory was is that she had maybe when she passed out, she fell forward and hit her teeth on the steering wheel. I find it odd that it would be that much force. Yeah. Actually knock her teeth. Exactly. I, I just don't. If you pass out on from being from the fumes, you don't have enough force to knock your teeth out. No, no. It's just it just adds to the fact that clearly something happened to her and it was malicious. One hundred percent. In my opinion. Yes, that is our official opinion. Official opinion. (laughs) She was murdered. Yes, that is our opinion. (laughs) Also mentioned on the break. Sorry, Kathy and Jim, that I said, suck my dick. (laughs) But then as I noted, I've heard Autumn and her brother get in arguments and they have definitely heard worse. Yes. (laughs) Guilty. Guilty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 100% guilty. (laughs) Let's go ahead and jump in to this case. I'm excited because I love international murders. So Dustin actually recommended this to me. It was very cute. He sent me the murder was well, no, (laughs) it was cute. How excited he was. He's he told me I found a case for you. No, I love that. You know, I had I had recorded an episode for um, for when I did the murder castle of murder history or yeah, miss. Yeah. Murder history. Anyway. And Josh was the recording started playing. And so he was watching it. He was like, you got to cover this. I'm like, I am covering this. (laughs) But I just love when they both get so excited about what we're doing. Yes. It's so cute. They're so supportive. (laughs) It's great. I I really, really love it. When he sent me the story, it was an international case. And I'm like, I don't usually go that way, but I'm going to take a chance. No, I love it. I'm so ready for this. Bear with me because it is a Japanese international case and I might pronounce things wrong, but I have really tried to make sure they're right. So 
I tried my hardest. Don't be mean. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, we've already know that your English isn't as great. Come up That's 100% so. facts. So, <laughs> so my English is equally as bad. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see your Japanese autumn. I'm, I'm ready for this. <laughs> I mean, I am really excited. I really am about this. It's a very interesting case. It's sad, but it's interesting. They're all sad. Yes. Anytime there's a murder, it's sad. But these are also grown humans killing grown humans again. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. (laughs) I really appreciate it. (laughs) You have Dustin to thank. (laughs) Thank you, Dustin. Also, I'm very excited about just that this is a case from Japan because it's Japan, in my opinion, is a very interesting country and interesting culture. So I'm really excited about this. I'll get right on in. This is the story of the murder of Lindsay Hawker. Lindsay Hawker was born on December 30th, 1984 to Bill and Julia Hawker, who lived in Brandon near Coventry, England. She was the middle child of three sisters. Lisa and Louise. They kind of had a theme going for their names because they all began with L. (laughs) And you know how I feel about themes. (laughs) Dear to my heart. (laughs) She has been described as very adventurous, bright, nurturing, caring, successful, and popular among her friends. In 2006, She graduated with a first-class honors degree from the University of Leeds, where she studied biology. Originally planning on pursuing her master's degree, she decided to take an opportunity to travel the world for a year. She landed a job as an English teacher at Koya, the Tokyo branch of Nova. At the time, Japan's largest private English conversation school. Nova is a prestigious school and Lindsay was very lucky to be chosen. That's exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah. Lindsay moved to Chiba just outside of Tokyo as the rent was cheaper and she found two female roommates, both also teachers at Nova school. One of her roommates was from Australia and one was from Canada. She quickly became friends with the girls. She was loving her time abroad, but also missed her family back home in England. She also had a long-term boyfriend back home. Lindsay kept in contact with them very regularly via Facebook, Skype, email, and the occasional phone call. Six months after moving to Japan, the 22-year-old had a very awkward encounter with a local man. She had finished teaching for the day and was at the Chiba train station, unlocking her bike when the man approached her from behind and told her she was his English teacher and asked her to confirm that. That's odd. Very odd. She was confused and she was sure he was not one of her students based on his age and the fact she didn't recognize him. She tried not to speak to him, but he pursued her. She hopped on her bike and started to ride home. The man chased after her. Oh my God. On foot. I am like freaking out right now. Right. He chased after her on foot, Aaron. He like ran 
fast enough with her bike and his feet the oh entire God. way to her home. Um, just quick side note. Um, there are so many good things to carry with you. I literally have a whistle that says, stay sexy, don't get murdered. Yes. <laughs> and then also the birdie personal alarm. Um, birdie, please sponsor us. But it is, <laughs> it is, I have one on my keychain and it's amazing. It does a really bright flash to, you know, upset someone's eye. It'll hurt someone's eyes. So you can put it up towards their eyes. And as soon as you pull the key, it is the loudest alarm. So ladies, if you're walking out at night, if you can't be in a group, then please carry something because we need a way to protect ourselves, take self-defense classes. These things are so incredibly important. I just wanted to throw I agree. A hundred percent. So scary though. This is like my worst nightmare. I know it's, it's definitely, yes. I mean, the fact that she's riding on her bike and he is literally keeping he up can, with her. The moment he started, you said he was chasing her. I was just like, God damn it. No. Yes. This gives like, me like a full palpitations. And while he's chasing her, he's tr- striking up a conversation with her. He's like, no. where are you from? No. How long have you been here? No, fuck and off. she's Leave trying to, yes, she's trying to ignore him this entire time, but he's just, he's there at every There's turn. no need to be polite in that situation. Just get the fuck out. Yes. When he caught up to her, he asked her if he could come in for a glass of water. No. Why? From his run? Yes, because he was, he was, no, get away. He was parched from his run. Nope. She took pity on him. No. And al- yes. And allowed him to come in for a drink of water. I hate that. But she made sure to introduce him to her roommates out of precaution. Well, that was smart. Well, to me, this whole interaction is sketchy. There's, the whole thing is so sketchy. There is no way that I would invite this person into my home for anything after he chased me the entire way home. No, nope. after I was trying to avoid him. But from what her friends and family have said, this was just Lindsay. She was caring and helpful yeah. and always wanted to see the good in people. Well, I am not Lindsay. I'm really sorry. I am. (laughs) I'm definitely a suspicious lady. Yes. And I would have probably been the rudest human he has ever met. And that wouldn't have happened. I would have said (laughs) run to the nearest water fountain, bro, because you're not coming inside my house. (laughs) Yeah. I am not cool with that at all. Yeah. You're pretty fast. I think you can get to a a convenience store pretty quickly here, sir. (laughs) Yeah. No, fuck off. Like I said, fuck off. <laughs> yes. Get out of here. A hundred percent. But I'm glad she introduced him to her friends. Yes. She introduced him to her roommates. So when, they know who he is. Yes. And so that he could see that. Out, yeah. If he's out in the bushes. Yes. That's what I call the cops. Yes. And, and to see that she doesn't live alone and she has people there and he's and people not. people that will be looking for her. Yes. And that he, she, she's going to have them recognize his face. <laughs> yeah. Once inside, he drew her a picture of herself, added his phone number, email address, and signed it with his name. I literally, what, he drew a picture of her? He drew a picture of her and then signed it. Tatsuya Ichihashi. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. He wasn't finished though. No. He asked her if she would be willing to give him English lessons. 
He no. offered mm-hmm. He offered to pay her hourly and they could have the lessons in public at a cafe. At Still first, home. I know. At first she refused. She didn't have a lot of room in her schedule as she worked full time and the time she did have off, she really liked using for sightseeing and having a good time exploring Japan. I mean, she lived right next to Tokyo, one of the most fascinating cities in the world. Yeah, of course. This is just so frustrating. I know. This creep. Yes, very persistent creep. He made her one final offer, $32 an hour, which she could not refuse. Yeah. She agreed to meet him four days later at a public cafe, and she would help him with his English. This was not against the rules for Nova school and a little extra money couldn't hurt. She also felt comforted that her roommates had seen him and could identify him in the future if needed. They said their goodbyes. And when she went on to email her boyfriend about this strange encounter, because if Dustin got that email, he would be like, Autumn, no, <laughs> I should be like, you talked to somebody, a stranger, and you were kind. Okay. That seems already odd. I mean, all disclosures here. Dustin, when we first started dating, used to get mad at me for answering the door anytime after 8 p.m. to anybody. (laughs) So, I mean, if I emailed him from a a foreign country and told him, oh, yeah, this man chased me on a bus. You have a a lot of late night callers. I mean. I'm just saying how that many sounded people are so, just dropping by after 8 p.m. just knocking on your door selling, well, selling vacuum to, cleaners. I used to live in the bottom apartment and these Mormon people I have, I'm not trying to be mean, but these Mormons would literally come almost nightly. Night? Yes. And it was always late at night. And they were real. It wasn't, they weren't fake Mormons. Cause at first he was like, are you sure? That yes. They were legit Mormons. Are there I, fake Mormons that walk around? I mean, who knows? Maybe someone's trying to get inside someone's house and try to kill them. But these people were like legit Mormons, but they just had late night schedule or something. I don't know, but let's just say he gave me shit for it all the time. It told me not to open my door for anybody. So if I emailed him and said, trying to sell you religion. Yes. Yes. So if I emailed him and I was like, Oh yeah, I was riding my bike and this man literally ran the whole way home. Then I invited him in for some water and now he's going to pay me to teach him English. He would probably be like, I'm coming. (laughs) You can't be trusted on your own. You've watched enough unsolved mysteries. I don't think you would actually invite anybody in. No, no. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to talk poorly on Lindsay. She she was a very kind woman. And she was trying to help someone. Yes. She was trying to help somebody, but she thought she's covering her bases by having. Yes. Hindsight's 2020. Totally. (laughs) On Saturday, March 24th, 2007, Lindsay and Ichihashi met at a cafe for their scheduled English lesson. After the lesson, when it was time to pay, Ichihashi told Lindsay that he had left his wallet at home. Red flags. <laughs> yeah. Um, where's he said, money at? Mm-hmm. He said not to worry that he lived just a few yards away. Oh, no, don't tell me she didn't go with him. And they could catch a taxi to his apartment. And he would go grab the money she was owed. She agreed. No. Once they arrived at his apartment, 
Lindsay asked the taxi driver to wait for her, that she would only be a few minutes. Seven minutes pass and the taxi driver leaves because she failed to return. Although seven minutes, that guy was not waiting very long. No, he wasn't. I mean, but if you said you're only going to be like a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. This was the last time that Lindsay Hawker was seen alive. Mm. Tatsuya Ichihashi was born on January 5th, 1979 in Gifu, which is a prefecture of Chiba in Japan. His mother was a dentist and his father was a medical doctor. Ichihashi graduated from the Department of Horticulture at Chiba University in 2005, but he did not work and he was not interested in ever getting a job. Well, how do you live? He lived off a monthly allowance of what would be (laughs) mm -hmm, of what would be 760 American dollars at that time a month from his parents. Remember, he had offered to pay Lindsay $32 an hour for his English lessons. Mm -hmm. Only having the income from his parents, that amount of money doesn't seem very sustainable for him to continue lessons. Yeah, no. He was 28 years old in 2007 when he met Lindsay Hawker. He was a loner, obsessed with physical fitness. He regularly worked out at the gym cycled 25 kilometers a day and had an interest in violent manga. I had to, I had to look up what manga is (laughs) to be honest. Manga is a comic book rather than animation. Unlike, unlike anime manga is often published in black and white because there are usually published weekly and printing them in color would take too much time and money. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends that are into it. Yeah. Dustin had to like help me too. And it's manga is usually fairly cheap to publish and only requires a small number of artists to produce. Mm -hmm. So it can take as little as one artist, or it could be many, many artists. And it's also considered to be more artistically original than anime. Yeah. And he was really into it. Yeah. Ichihashi was said to be in a year long committed relationship with a local Japanese woman. He had no previous convictions, but he had been a person of interest in a theft injury six years prior, where he had allegedly assaulted a woman on the street during a robbery, but the matter had been settled out of court, where it was said that his parents paid the settlement to make the charges go away. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Little has been made public about him due to the comparatively restrictive nature of Japanese privacy laws and his parents' refusal to speak about him. Lindsay's family and roommates began to worry about her because of her lack of communication with them that day. And she failed to return home from the meeting with Ichihashi earlier. Lindsay's friends tried to alert authorities about their concerns for their friend, but the proper authorities were not given the message within the department. On March 26, 2007, Nova School reported Lindsay missing after she failed to show up to teach her classes scheduled for March 25th and March 26th. The officers went to Lindsay's house and interviewed her roommates, and they gave him 
all the information that they had on the Japanese man that she was giving English lessons to Tatsuya Ichihashi. Well, he freaking signed her picture. So with his phone number, email address, name, and a picture of her. I mean, honestly, thank God he did that because that just really helped them to be able to find him. Yes. A hundred percent. Two officers were sent to Ichihashi's apartment, but were not allowed to knock without proper cause. His neighbors were home and they let the officers peer from their balcony into his apartment. It was then that they could detect someone inside the apartment, even though no lights were on and the apartment was completely dark. In Japan, they have detachable bathtubs and they noticed that his was out on his balcony which they found very strange. The officers were aware of his past with the theft with injury and decided to call for backup. They were worried that he might have Lindsay inside his apartment being held hostage. I mean, yeah. About an hour later, seven additional officers arrived to assist. Two hours later, around 9 p.m., with the nine police officers at his apartment, Ichihashi left the apartment barefoot and wearing a rucksack, which is basically a backpack. Yeah. Seeing the officers, he tried to run away. One officer grabbed his rucksack, but Ichihashi was able to slip out of it and get away. Damn it. There were officers on the fourth floor where he lived and on the ground. However, none of the officers had a radio So the officers on the fourth floor were not able to communicate with the officers on the ground that he was on the move. He was later rediscovered wearing sneakers, but was able to zigzag through the street and evade being captured again. Oh my God. Like (laughs) what? (laughs) This guy and his running, I swear. Well, he was obsessed with physical fitness. Yeah, but my God, can they catch him already? Tell me they (laughs) caught him though. I cannot tell you that. Damn it. (laughs) With Tatsuya on the run, they began to investigate his apartment. Outside on the balcony in the detachable bathtub, they found the naked body of Lindsay Hawker. The tub had been filled with a mixture of sand and soil, almost entirely covering Lindsay's body. Only her right hand was visible poking out of the soil. Oh my God. She was bound and gagged and had been subjected to a brutal rape and attack. Her belongings were scattered all over his apartment. The body had been covered in a decomposing agent to speed up the decomposition, as well as flower seeds to disguise the bathtub as a flower pot. Oh my God. I mean, he graduated from the University of Horticulture. Yeah. So he was thinking this through. God damn it. I just, this is grossing me out. I know. A strange detail that quickly became public was that he shaved Lindsay's hair. They also found a collection of wigs in his apartment, leading people to wonder if he was a cross-dresser and he had killed her to wear her hair as a wig. Or were they other human wigs? Right. That was my honest first thought was that these are his other victims. 
if that yeah. makes sense. That was my first no, thought that's as well. A, that's exactly where my mind went. Yeah, my mind went right there too. The next day, the police obtained a warrant for the arrest of Tatsuya Ichihashi for abandonment of Lindsay's body, which I find to be a weird charge, but I mean, it's a different country and they have a lot of different rules. Totally. I've never heard of that either. I haven't either. It wasn't for the murder. It was for the abandonment of her body. Yeah. Maybe that's also a translation thing too. Yeah, it, it could be. And he was put on a national wanted list. However, he had disappeared like a ghost. I'll bet his parents knew where he was. Those those people aren't talking, though. I know, but I bet (laughs) they knew because they 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 financially support him. I'm I got him out of his last charges. They got him out of his last charges, too. Yes, I I 100 percent am on the same page with you. Yeah. Days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months. No. And there was no sightings of Ichihashi. The police began to distribute photoshopped images of Ichihashi wearing wigs so that people could see what he looked like in case he was hiding out disguised as a woman. Yeah. In early 2008, and she went missing in 2007. Well, she was killed in 2007. Police investigated sightings of Ichihashi among sections of Kabachiko popular with homosexuals, where he had tentatively been identified by his male sexual partners. However, in the latter part of the year, the investigation stalled. By October of 2008, 140 officers were involved in the relatively large investigation. Oh my God. That month, the police suggested that Ichihashi may have committed suicide. Lindsay's father called this a ploy to scale down the operation, which some inside sources said was coming to a close. Oh my God. They're his, her poor parents. Yes. Reports speculating about Ichihashi's location continued. And on January 15th, 2009, an article in Japan Today citing a reporter from the weekly magazine spa reported that Ichihashi had fled to the Philippines on March 21st, 2009, near the second anniversary of Lindsay's death, the police released life-size cutouts of Ichihashi to raise the profile of the case. What? Yes. They put them in train stations all over the, all over the community, these life-size like a whole nother cutout milk carton. Yes. And I mean, this kind of stuff was so interesting to me because I've never seen something like that in the U S yeah, but these, and I'll post pictures on our Instagram. It's not a bad idea. No, these are like life-size cutouts. Kind of like you see at a movie theater with these like actors and actresses that he, these were all over, like in train stations all over the place. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. On June 26, 2009, the Japanese National Police Agency raised the cash reward for information leading to Ichihashi's arrest from 1 million yen to 10 million yen. That would be approximately $100,000 in US dollars in 2009. Wow. So it's a hefty reward. Yeah. Hopefully that triggered someone. On November 4th, 2009, 
Police disclosed that Ichihashi had undergone plastic surgery on October 24th at a clinic in Nagoya, where he had his nose uplifted, which is he's changing his appearance. He's doing like face off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He had apparently received cosmetic surgery on several occasions to remove two moles on his cheek add a fold to his eyelids, thin both his lips and increase the height of his nose before he visited the Nagoya clinic. So all- he was really mm-hmm. trying to get, disguise himself. Yes. Well, all I mean, of- his face is everywhere. Yes. All of this was to alter his appearance and avoid detection. However, he, he had slipped up. He had agreed to let the plastic surgeon take it before an after picture of him. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, thank God. Tell yes. me something came of this. <laughs> well, police released this to the press, a photograph taken immediately before his latest surgery. Ichihashi saw these pictures in the press and knew that he could not hide in plain sight any longer. The plastic surgeon turned him in for that. <laughs> thank God. And that reward money. <laughs> yeah, I mean. On November 10th, 2009, Ichihashi was captured in Osaka while trying to board a ferry to Okinawa. Ichihashi did not confess upon being arrested. And when his 23-day period of detention without charge expired on December 2nd, he was initially charged with abandoning a body and served two more warrants for rape and murder. Ichihashi's lawyers alleged that he was threatened with the death penalty if he did not speak, and that him not cooperating was attributed to fatigue and stress. You've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. On December 23rd, one of his lawyers announced that he had acknowledged that he was involved in Lindsay's death, but he did not intend to kill her and had attempted to artificially resuscitate her did what about the rape and all of that i mean like that it doesn't add up uh -uh. he's just trying to make it sound like he never intended to kill her that's ridiculous Mm -hmm. which had been extensively covered by the media was likely to test the fairness of japan's judicial system which operates a lay judge system and has the option of the death penalty in certain cases. However, it is extremely rare in Japan to be sentenced to death for killing only one person. As of 2010, fewer than 10 of the 111 inmates of Japan's death row had killed only one person, including previous convictions. So the death penalty doesn't sound promising for him. Yeah. In court, Ichihashi admitted to suffocating Lindsay to prevent her from screaming for help while he raped her. On July 21st, 2011, the Chiba District Court sentenced Ichihashi to life imprisonment for the murder of Lindsay Hawker. The Hawker family had requested the death penalty, but the court felt the death penalty was inappropriate because Ichihashi had no previous convictions And because at the age of 32, there was still a chance he could be rehabilitated. Ichihashi wrote a book titled Until I Was Arrested, 
which tells his side of the story. He offered Lindsay's family all royalties his book might earn, which the family rejected. As they should. Yes. I would not want a single cent from this monster. Absolutely not. Mm -mm. A film, I Am Ichihashi, Journal of a Murderer, starring Japanese actor Dean Fujika, was released in November 2013, based on the book by Ichihashi and covering the two and a half years he spent on the run before being arrested in November 2009. Lindsay Hawker was a bright young woman whose life was cut tragically short. My sources were YouTube channel, Coffee House Crimes, Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and Japan Today. That was insane. I mean, the part that really got me was that, so he had plastic surgery prior to going to that plastic surgeon. And it is thought to be that he did it himself, that he cut part of his lower lip himself, stitched a part of his nose and removed his moles himself to change his appearance. I mean, and the fact that he was able to run away and then get away for so long too is just crazy. Two and a half years. He was hiding in like, there's islands in Japan um, that have, cement bunkers and I guess they're just abandoned and he had lived in several of those over the years and then he also got a job as a construction worker so he was like living his life that is just crazy isn't that mind-blowing I just looked up his surgery photos yes oh yes we will have those on Instagram they are very interesting yeah, very interesting. Like he looks di- totally different. Very, very different. It's like what he did with his eyebrows too. Mm-hmm. And one of them, his face is so much fuller than before. Yeah. It's crazy. It's I'm just really strange. Yes. Dustin, he found it on the YouTube channel, the coffee house crimes. And he was like, you have to do this story. It's so interesting. It is. It's really interesting. Yes. And also so sad. So sad. She was, mm. she was so young and she was beautiful. Not that being ugly is a reason to die or anything, but she was breathtaking. She was very beautiful and she seemed just so happy and how kind she just wanted to teach Japanese children English. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's just really sad that that's the way that things went. And I mean, again, like I said, there's, there's so many things that I hope that women and men or whomever is listening that you protect yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of tools out there to, to do so. So I just, you know, as a word of caution, if you don't already know, you're probably a suspicious weirdo like us. Yes. Uh, if you're listening, <laughs> be to suspicious podcast, of everybody. If you're listening to our podcast, most likely you are. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I mean, seriously, like I don't go anywhere. I have the birdie on my keychain. I just don't go anywhere. I just feel like for me, I am a sexual assault survivor, but also I just feel like I, it's makes me f- feel more comfortable just knowing that I have that with me. 
Yes. And my dad is constantly buying me self-defense things. I also, you mean knives? Yeah. Knives. Savvy (laughs) Jim. Thank you. Savvy Jim. Yeah. Lindsay did know karate and, but Tatsuya was a black belt. So he overpowered her, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And he was doing fitness things to get himself in good shape. Yes. This, this, there was something disturbed about him because you just, I mean, he was fixated on her. Well, saw, yeah, yeah. saw her, ran after her then and then a picture of her. Mm-hmm. I mean, that yeah. part creeps me out the most. Yes. Like, just the fact that he did that. I would be like, uh-uh, no, not ever. I mean, like already mm-hmm. I was like, you're running after me, trying to talk to me. I don't like that. No, that would make me feel very uh, suffocated. Yeah. I would not like that. Mm-mm. I, it, it just, I feel what a sad situation. She's just out there living her life and this guy a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, these were good cases tonight. I, we did not have anything really. Mm, We kind of had a connection because Miss Todd wanted to be a teacher and. Oh yeah. Was a teacher. teacher. So, okay. We did have a little, yeah, just a little connection, but it was there. I also like that you covered an international case. I think that's awesome. It was out of my comfort zone, but I definitely have more appreciation for you when you do these out international cases, because there's a lot I had to Google. I was like, what does this word mean? And what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They just uh, talk differently. Well, I think the biggest thing is that they're, we're used to our judicial system here. Mm -hmm. And so things are done very differently in different ways. So it's definitely a thing to try to understand how all of that works in another country. So I feel like that part just ends up being a lot of research. Like Mm -hmm. for me, I research like, how does, how do they do, you know, their, their court system. And a lot of times the lawyers or barristers are it things are just completely different than here so right learning the verbiage and all of that is a lot it's just it was fascinating and I have so much more respect for all of the research you do on international cases <laughs> yeah I mean it once like for me like England I've kind of got down a little bit in the old time and crimes so you know I'm I'm still I'm still learning but I feel like I'm starting to get it more and more so it's a little less research in that aspect of it totally but you know it's it is it is a little bit different just because you're not used to you know what systems they put in place mm-hmm. 100% plus it was England and Japan. So there was like absolutely no connection to America. <laughs> no, but that was, that was, that was really good. I'm glad you did that one. Um, again, we will post a ton of pictures on our Instagram page and it will be available on all streaming, um, platforms. So, uh, we'll see you next Saturday yes. and hopefully I'll be a little more settled in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm so glad to be back again this week and, um, and we'll see you guys soon. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye.